share with you a, a word from the Lord because I want you to see that as the church, you know, I, I've been in the church for a while and I've watched the church kind of, you know, go different ways. I've watched the, 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 the different moves of God, the different movements of God. I've watched the church kind of swing back and forth, if you will. Um, and what I see happen is that when, when principles in the Word of God are taken to an extreme, that the tendency is to go the other way in an extreme measure to where we set aside principles that are still viable for today but we don't want to be associated with something, and so we swing the other way. And you'll understand more as I share the word with you, but it's important in our life that my life and my, my, my focus is I'll always want to find myself uh, in the middle of what God's doing. And I want to find myself doing what the word of God says. And there's an assault on the word of God today. And I'm just telling you, that the Word of God has been here before you, before our current generations, before our thought processes and our, um, you know, before our great minds, you know, were ever arrived. The Word of God has been here, the Word of God is here, and the Word of God will outlast and I don't know about you, but I choose not to put my confidence in what an expert says. And I'm not speaking to any, I'm just saying an expert quote in the word or different things. I'm going to put my confidence in the simplicity of the truth of the word of God. Because that's the only thing that I have that's unshakable, immovable, that's been proven throughout time to stand the test of every onslaught. This has not been the first time that the Word of God has been targeted. There have been men that have come before that have tried to eradicate the Bible from the face of the earth. But yet they couldn't do it because you can't. Amen? And so you can put your confidence in people today. You can put your confidence in the latest fad. You can put your confidence in the latest philosophies. You can put your confidence, but those come and go. But the Word of God, the Bible says the heavens and the earth will pass away. But he said, my Word endures forever. It's eternal. Amen. And the Word doesn't change to fit the culture of the day. The Word was the Word. The Word is the Word. The Word will always be the Word. Jesus said, I am. Amen. And Jesus is the Word manifest. He is the living Word of God. And so the Word always will be, I am. It's never going to be, I was. And it's not just, I will be. It is, I am always. So when we're standing in heaven together, rejoicing together, worshiping together, doing what God wants us to do, the word is still the word. Amen. And I don't want to give up on the word in order uh, for a temporary wisdom that's ever changing. The word of God doesn't change. And, and our gospel is not a philosophical message. It's not just an intellectual belief system. It's not just, just something that, that you can put along uh, uh, the same lines as other philosophies. 
Our gospel message, there's something that differentiates it from all those other things. Amen? The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, what is that good news? That good news is that Jesus came down from heaven, put on flesh, amen, lived a sinless life, and then he gave his life willingly for mankind on the cross, his blood being spilled and poured out for the forgiveness of our sins, and then he was raised up to new life. And he is the one that has paid the price for us. And that in itself is the good news that we have in that I don't have to die and be separated from God. I don't have to live a life now separated from God. I get to have a relationship with a living God that's without guilt, without fear, or as far as intimidation, that I get to have a relationship, a personal relationship with the living God um, today. And I get to do that because of what Jesus Christ has done. And that's good news to me. And so that gospel, amen, gives us freedom to be able to worship God and have a relationship with the living God. And this happens, the Bible says, by grace through faith. Amen. It's not works. You can't earn it. Jesus loved you first. God loves you. Jesus died for us before we, were, uh, we ever had him on our radar, right? And it's because of him. And so it's by grace, it's through faith that we believe in him, and it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so today, I want to minister to you about uh, a couple of things, two things. I want to minister to you a little bit about the power of God. So you under, get, get some basics there. And then I'm going to minister to you because of what we're doing today on uh, what's called the laying on of hands. And I'm going to show you and walk with you through the word so that you have the truth concerning how that should function and why it's there. Amen. So hopefully you came ready and uh, we're going to kind of go through quite a few scriptures here. Uh, but I'm going to try and move fast on this. Amen. Um, as the church, it's not our job to try to eloquently persuade the world to follow Jesus. Your and my great wisdom is not going to persuade or cause people to truly follow Jesus. The gospel, the Bible says, is the power of God unto salvation. And the only way somebody can come to God is because he's drawn by the Spirit to God. Now, you and I are vessels of the Holy Spirit to work and throw, flow through us. But the gospel is not just a philosophy. It's not a word-only gospel. And so many people struggle because they look at it as just another philosophy to believe in, and they're trying to compare it to other philosophies. But it's not. The gospel is power. And what separates the gospel is Jesus Christ, but it's not just the fact that he came and what he did, but there is power associated with that, power to change your life, power for you and I to be born again, which happens supernaturally, and for us to become a new creature in Christ, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, 
Old things are passed away, all things have become new. When you are born again, something supernatural, something powerful happens. It's not just I said a prayer and then I got my ticket. You hear me say that all the time. It is not just a verbal exchange. Something happens when you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, when you believe on Him as the one who died on the cross for you, when you and I do that by faith, something changes in you. You are born again. And it's by the power or the agency of the Holy Spirit who um, works in us for us to be born again. And so my mind may not totally change. Amen? My body doesn't necessarily change, but I become on the inside a new creature in Christ, and then I am set on a new path to walk with God. And it's not just about going to church. That's part of it, but, but we've put this kind of parameters on God and what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. A follower of Jesus means that I follow what he says I do what he says, I believe in what he says, amen, that I I have a pattern in my life of I follow Jesus, and I can't follow Jesus because I say it, it's got to be something that works out in my life, and it takes the power of God to do that. And the world needs to know Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only answer in the world today. There is no other answer. I'm not saying there aren't other good things. There's plenty of other good things. But Jesus is not a good thing. He is the Savior of the world. And He is the only way, the Bible says, to the Father. So if you don't go through Jesus, you're not getting to the Father. Very plain and simple. You're going to get somewhere, but it ain't going to be there. And you can say, well, I don't believe that. Or you can say, well, I, I, you know, I, I believe such and such, but I'm just going to explain something to you. And, and please, I, I do it humbly to explain it to you, is that your belief doesn't change the word. Your opinion doesn't change anything. My opinion doesn't change anything. That's what I want you to get, is that the word is the word. Amen? So... We need to understand that the gospel, the gospel message is the power of God. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm going to read these fast. You can go back, make notes, um, and you can go back and and read them and meditate on them, but for the sake of time. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with what? Excellence of speech and or of wisdom, declaring to you what? The testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The simplicity of the gospel. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. But in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Now now this is why. He says that your faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
So the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he's saying, listen, I didn't come to you with just some great, eloquent, persuasive message. And Paul was a highly educated man. Paul says, I came to you in the power and demonstration of the Spirit. That's what separates the gospel, is that there's power for it to work. Why? Because there's a living God that backs it up. Not some statue, not some book that was read as far as just from some man. Listen, the, you, you, you have to understand, you say, well, the Bible was written by man. No, it was written by the Holy Spirit through man. First Thessalonians 1.5 says, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power. And in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. It came in power, in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance. Why? Because it's backed by power. Mark 16, 20. It says, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through what? The accompanying signs. He confirmed his word with something. See, he didn't confirm his word with just a, 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 another book written to give you an, an intellectual approach. He confirmed his word with power. And then Acts 1.8, it says that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Most of us read and know about the Great Commission, but the first thing that Jesus told them to do was not to go. The first thing he said was to wait until you're endued with power from on high so that you don't go with the wisdom of men and you don't go with eloquence of speech. I need you to go in my power because that's what's going to separate or differentiate the truth of the gospel from every other philosophy on the face of the earth and we've reduced the gospel to feelings and thoughts and 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 trying to figure it all out we've reduced it to just rules and regulations and just steps And here the simple message is, is that the gospel, I want you to take it in power to the nations of the world. Amen? So the power of God is real. And I realize that over time, maybe the church has abused some things. Some things maybe got a little crazy. But I want you to understand, let me just remind you that when Jesus walked on the face of the earth, the, 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 quote, leaders of the church saw some craziness. They saw Jesus spit and make mud and jam it in some guy's eye. Right? I mean, they, they, they saw Jesus do all kinds of things. And what was amazing is that Jesus, um, they saw him, you know, heal somebody on the Sabbath. And they got all offended because Jesus would dare uh, heal somebody, quote, work on the Sabbath. 
Listen, be careful in your life and in my life that we don't get so religious that we stop doing real ministry. And we use Christian excuses to not do real ministry. The Pharisees were jealous because they had no power. And they had to come up with reasons why the real power wasn't legit. And if you're not careful as a believer, instead of just saying, God, I want your power in my life, we'll come up with reasons why we don't need it and we can still live our, quote, religious life. And Paul called it having a form of godliness or a formula is what that word is of godliness but denying its very power to change and transform. We've got the power of God in our life. Amen? So I want you to understand that. So the laying on of hands, I want to walk you through just a few principles about it. Number one is you need to know that laying on of hands is an elementary principle written in the Word of God. Hebrews 6, 1. It says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles. He didn't say leaving the principles. He said leaving the discussion. In other words, there's no more to be discussed, just do it. It says, let us go on to what? Perfection. Amen. Not laying what? Again, the foundation of repentance from dead works. It says, end of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of the laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Laying on of hands is a basic principle just as much as salvation. Amen? So it's not like it's this way out crazy thing that's done. It is a basic principle. Mark chapter 16 15 through 18, I'm just going to read 18. It says, they will take up serpents and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. It says, they will lay hands on the sick and they will, what, recover. You say, well, Pastor Rob, my Bible doesn't have that in there. Well, it's because your Bible's based on a different manuscript and they just chose to leave it out, but it doesn't make it less true because the principle of laying on the hands is throughout the word of God. So don't use that as one scripture as an excuse. Let's look at the context of the word. Mark chapter 6 verse 5. Let's just look at Jesus in his life. It says, now he could do no mighty work there. It's talking about his own hometown. It says, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. So if we're going to be Christ-like, then we need to do what Jesus did. And Jesus laid hands on sick folks, and they were healed. Mark chapter 10, verse 16, and this is talking about the kids. The kids were coming that Jesus might pray for them, and, and the, the uh, apostles, those around him, got upset and said, no, leave the master alone. And Jesus said, don't keep them from me. You know the, child, you know the verse, suffer not the children? right? Don't, don't keep them away. He brought him to him. It says he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and what? Blessed them. So we see that Jesus healed with laying on of hands, that Jesus blessed with laying on of hands. 
Luke chapter 4, verse 40, it says, When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him, talking about Jesus, and he did what? He laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Luke chapter 13, verse 10, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him, and he said to her, Woman, you are loose from your infirmity. So he spoke the word, he spoke the truth, and he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Now, there's more. Amen. But I want you to understand that laying on of hands, we see that. You can go all the way back into the Old Testament and see where they poured oil on them. They anointed them with oil. And that's all the way into the New Testament. So this is a biblical principle. And this principle, the reason you say, well, Pastor Rob, why are you telling me? Because this is not just for the pastor. This is, according to Mark, it's for every believer. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. All right, so they laid hands on there for healing. They laid on there to bless people. Now let's talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amen? We are a Spirit-filled church, baptized by the Holy Spirit, evidence of speaking in tongues. Yes, that's who we are. Amen. So let's just read the word. Acts chapter 8, verses 14 says, Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, so they had, they had received the word, they sent Peter and John to them. So they had some converts and they said, Hey, they've heard the word, they've received it, now I want you to go to them. And it says, Who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might what? Receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. All right, They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord. In other words, they were saved, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. Then they what? Laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. And when Simon, who was with them, saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands that the Holy Spirit was given. In other words, Simon saw what happened, and then he said, I want to buy this. I want to buy this power. And then, of course, they rebuked him. Amen. But I want you to understand something is that they had already received the gospel. They had already heard about Jesus, but they still needed the Holy Spirit. And it came through what? They laid hands on him. Acts chapter 9, verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. This is after Saul, uh, Jesus... um, uh, uh, interrupted his life on the Damascus road, right? He, uh, he, he uh, interrupted his life. He saw the bright light. He fell off uh, onto the ground. This is that encounter. And then after that, Saul was blind and he was led away, right? And so then God sent Ananias to Saul. And this is what he says, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came, he, he has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And the Bible says that he laid hands on him. And, and that's when Paul, what, received his sight and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And so um, I want you to understand, even over in Acts chapter 19, the Bible says that they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So there's a part to the laying on of hands that is associated with being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, let me say this. Is that the only way that you can receive that? No. You just pray from your house. You can pray sitting out in your chair, and God will meet you. But there is something also about the laying on of hands. And Jesus didn't lay his hands on every sick person. Jesus also spoke the word at times. So there's different ways, but laying on of hands, you're going to see all through the word that it was a basic way of ministering to people. And it is a powerful way to minister to people. So now, the commission for ministry, that's what we're doing today. When we lay hands on these two couples and pray over them, what we're doing is they're being separated to something. And it is a God thing. And you say, well, I don't need that, you know, to be able to minister. No, you don't need it just to be able to go and share the gospel and minister, but you do need it to be able to walk as a, an apostle or a prophet, a pastor, or an evangelist or teacher. There has to be God's endorsement on your life. You don't call yourself to that. And there's plenty of people today that call themselves apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, but God didn't call them to it. That's for another sermon, but amen. I didn't call myself. And there was a season in my life where I, I looked to do something else, and I couldn't. Amen. I have a pastor friend of mine that says, if you can do something else besides pastoring, then do it. It means you're not called to it. Amen? <laughs> I get some amens over there. <laughs> so Acts chapter 6, it says, Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected, what, in the daily distribution. So they were neglected in the food ministry. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples. So the apostles summoned all the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Amen. It says, therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint, appoint over this business. But we may give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now listen, and the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose. And it goes through and tells the ones that they chose. It says in verse 6, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. There was a separation that took place in those on that day, that moment in time. They were consecrated and separated to serve tables. And God required many things of them to even be qualified to serve tables. But they laid hands on them. 
Amen. And verse 7 says, Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. What happens whenever people are separated from ministry and they're willing to step up and do what they're called to do, amen, then the ministry grows. But when everybody, when everybody looks to the pastor to get everything done, then the ministry suffers. Because my job isn't to do the work of the ministry. I don't mean I don't work. I know some people may think that, but that's not my role, right? My role is to equip you to do the work of the ministry because that's the way the work grows. That's the way the kingdom gets built. Amen. Acts chapter 13, it says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who has been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And now listen, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So today what we're doing is, thank God we're not having to send them away, amen, but we are sending them forward in their journey and being separated into something. And that's done through the laying on of hands. And the Holy Spirit spoke and said, I've got a job for them to do. And then they prayed on them and made an official uh, declaration by the power of God, not by the power of men. This is not about men today or women. This is about the Holy Spirit and the power of God and the calling of God. 1 Timothy 4.14, impartation. says, do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. That's Paul talking to Timothy. He said, you actually had a gift that was imparted into you through prophecy, prophetic word, and then through the laying on the hands of the eldership. Do you, see, do you see, are you following this? 2 Timothy 1.6, he says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of what? My hands. Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift of God that's in you through what? The laying on of hands. And then lastly, healing and signs and wonders. I'm just going to give you a couple of New Testament. Acts chapter 28, verse 8, and it happened that the father of um, Publius, Publius, I don't know how you say his name, it says, lay sick of a fever and dysentery. It says, while Paul went into him and prayed, and Paul laid his hands on him and what? Healed him. See, Apostle Paul, he laid hands on him and he healed him. Amen. Acts 5.12 says, and through the hands of the apostles, through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Acts chapter 14, verse 3, therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their what? Their hands. Again, it's not man, it's God working and utilizing man. And you and I are all vessels. We're all ministers. Acts chapter 19, verse 11, it says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out from them. 
what I'm wanting you to understand is that our hands should be his hands. And God's called us to use our hands appropriately to be able to minister to people. And it doesn't mean you always have to lay hands. Amen. But I want you to understand that there is a ministry of laying on of hands that God endorses. And he is endorsed all throughout his word. Do you see what I'm saying? And so today, I want you to understand that as we lay hands on these uh, uh, two couples, that there's something supernaturally that's taking place. It is not just a formality. There's something spiritual that's taking place today. And then when we're done with that, um, we're going to actually have our ministry team come up and we're going to pray for any of you that you desire us to lay hands on for healing, for deliverance, for whatever it is that you need, we are going to exercise the ministry and we're going to do it in order and we're going to do it right, but we're going to do it and you are able to come and receive from that ministry today. Amen?